You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Hear the word of the Lord. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. This is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had arrested John, chained him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, since John had been telling him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Though Herod wanted to kill John, he feared the crowd, since they regarded John as a prophet. When Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter danced before them and pleased Herod, so he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she answered, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Although the king regretted it, he commanded that it be granted because of his oaths and his guest. So he sent orders and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, who carried it to her mother. Then his disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful to you this morning because of your miraculous, God-centered, Christ-exalting, and Spirit-empowered grace. Grace that radically pursued us to the point that you, Father, offered your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin. And he absorbed the wrath of God for our sin. You counted against your Son our transgressions, and you counted in our favor his righteousness, and you raised him from the dead. So that now by faith in Jesus Christ, your son, we can boldly proclaim, we will hear the verdict, not guilty in the judgment. And that verdict has invaded this present evil age right now by the indwelling presence and power of your spirit. And Father, we thank you for that. But Father, we also thank you that the grace that justifies is also the grace that radically transforms. So we pray as we hear a message this morning about repentance and yielding our lives to Jesus Christ, our King. We pray that you would not let my words fall like rocks on hard soil. But Father, would you by your spirit open up our hearts right now and do heart surgery on us so that we would live in the power of the spirit in light of what you've done for us in Christ. And Father, help me to believe what I'm going to say. And may your people believe it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 14 begins another cycle of narratives that demonstrate 
Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. Here, in our verses, Matthew teaches specifically that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He is not John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. In Matthew chapter 11, we learn that John is in prison. But we don't know why until Matthew chapter 14. In verse 1 and in verse 2, when Herod Antipas heard about Jesus' ministry, and especially his miracles, he says in verse 2 to his servants that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Verses 3 and 4, Matthew tells us John the Baptist was imprisoned by Herod because of his preaching. He preached that Herod should repent and not be involved in an adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. Verse 5, Matthew states that Herod at one point desired to kill John the Baptist for his preaching, but he was afraid to do so because the people, verse 5, esteemed John to be a prophet. Verse 8, Herod's wife wants John the Baptist dead because he preached against her marriage to Herod. She, with Herod's brother, had a young daughter. And according to verses 7 and 8, this young girl, her young daughter, had already at some point began to sexually arouse guests at Herod's parties because of her dancing, with the kind of dancing that pleased the lustful senses. To the point, in verse 7, that Herod swore with an oath to give this young girl whatever she wanted because her lewd dancing gratified him. Now, you need to understand this young girl was not doing the electric slide, all right? It was more like a strip tease. In verse 8, the girl's mother urged her, prompted her, persuaded her to tell Herod to give to me, that is, to his wife, John the Baptist's head on a platter. Verse 9, Herod became vexed. He was anxious because he did not want to kill John the Baptist. In fact, verse 9 says Herod was grieved by this. But he cared more about saving face in front of his friends at his birthday party. And he cared about preserving John the Baptist's life. So he gave in to this difficult request. Verse 9 says, although the king was grieved, he granted this request because of the oaths and because of his guests. 
Verses 9 to 11 tell us the rest, as they say, is history. Verses 10 and 11, Herod beheads John the Baptist and saw to it that his wife received his, her, his head on a platter. Verse 12 says, John the Baptist's disciples came to receive his body and they buried it. It's such a complex story, isn't it? If I could be honest, when I received my assignment to preach this text, I asked myself, what in the world am I going to say to you by means of application? Well, I think the basic takeaway of the story is Matthew is telling us to repent and yield our lives to Jesus Christ the Messiah, to submit every area of our lives to Christ. Herod rejected the preaching of John the Baptist, which was preaching about Jesus the Messiah and a call for him to repent. So I think a basic word from the Lord this morning is we should repent of our sin, which we all have. Brothers and sisters, think about this for a moment. Herod sold out John the Baptist, the last great Old Testament prophet, the one who ushered in the day of the Messiah, the one who, like Elijah, whose mission was to announce the coming day of the Lord. Herod sold him out for a few moments of what appears to be a sexual fetish over his young daughter-in-law, because of a promise he made to her in the presence of his friends at a party given in his honor. Of course, Herod bears personal responsibility for his own sin and his own complicity in the sin of objectifying this young girl and for the sin of murdering John the Baptist. And likewise, his wife bears personal responsibility. Brothers and sisters, hear this point this morning. Herod is at a party in his honor. Those in attendance would have likely been people of significant social status. There was likely a lot of eating, laughing, money, excessive drinking, lewd and sexual behavior and other inappropriate behavior at this party. And I can imagine that Herod became so sexually aroused by the mood of the moment, by the music, by the excessive drinking and by the lewd dancing and behavior that he made promises beyond his desires to keep problem was, his guests of noble social status would have held him to his oaths, which probably included Herod invoking the name of a god in as his witness to honor this oath. If he would have broken his oath, Herod would have brought much social dishonor and social shame upon himself and his family in this honor and shame society. Unfortunately, for Herod, 
He likely had no clue that his wife and her daughter played him and schemed together to play him so that he would be socially obligated to give them John the Baptist's head. Before his head, they did ask. And they left Herod no choice but to honor his oath and to murder John the Baptist if he wanted to save face in front of his guests at this party in his honor. Y'all still with me, brothers and sisters? Herod was living on the edge of eternity. And he fell off that edge without listening to the message of John the Baptist and without yielding his life to Jesus Christ as his king. Does this sound maybe familiar to some of you this morning? I want you all to hear my heart this morning. As one of your pastors, I love this church and I love the people whom I shepherd Y'all keep me and the other, other elders up at night praying for you. So hear my words that are about to follow as words from a pastor whose heart bleeds for the people over whom God has placed him with other brothers as pastor. All right? Some of y'all this morning, you're married And perhaps you're living on the edge of divorce right now. You're living on the edge of destroying your families and your lives right now. You're living on the edge of destroying your souls right now. Because you are playing with sin. You are playing with the devil and his lies. You are playing games with Jesus. You're playing games with God's wrath. Some of y'all perhaps are dancing with the fires of porn and you don't want release from that porn. Others of you maybe are struggling with porn and you want freedom and praise God for wanting freedom. And hear this, brothers and sisters, if you struggle with sin, remember this, God still loves you, but he wants you to give him your sin, to let go of your sin, amen? But some of you right now perhaps are involved in inappropriate late night chats with women or with men to whom you're not married. Perhaps you're married and involved in inappropriate relationships or you're contemplating infidelity and you're playing with fire when you send that lewd text message or email. You're on the edge of throwing away everything. Your witness, your church, your CG, your family, your reputation, your livelihood, all because of some temporary sensation or thrill that the devil has deceived you into thinking will fulfill your life 
but in reality will only destroy your soul. Some of you are perhaps single this morning. And you're involved in inappropriate relationships with people who aren't your husband or your wife without any boundaries befitting those who confess Jesus Christ. You're playing with sin. I promise you, brothers and sisters, hear my heart, all right? Hear my heart. If you keep playing with the fires of sin, I promise you'll get burned. Smoking weed might seem cool now until you get arrested. Sexual infidelity might seem attractive now and it might even satisfy for a season. Lewd behavior might seem cool and fun now. Extramarital sex or premarital sex might seem cool or fun now, but I promise you, your sin will arrest you, enslave you in a spiritual prison, and will cut your head off and put it on a platter of shame and destruction. Can I get one witness this morning? As one preacher said, your sin will deal with you if you don't deal with your sin. Sin will promise you a life of joy and satisfaction. Just look at Aaron. <laughs> but it will ultimately pay you an eternity of misery and grief. It will cause you to think you're happy but it will strip you of any joy. Your sin will eat you up and spit you out if you don't deal with your sin. Now, praise God, Jesus loves sinners. He doesn't love self-righteous hypocrites. He wants people who are sick to follow him. So if you are a sinner this morning, and we all are, throw your sins at the feet of Jesus. But my point is, sin will kill you if you don't kill it. As one of my favorite preachers once said before he died, sin will always promise you more than it will give you. Sin will always cost you more than you're able and willing to pay. And sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will push you over the edge. And depending on what kind of sin you're dancing with today, it may, it may take your life. It may take your livelihood, your reputation, your family, your souls, your mind, your health. But sin will always seek to destroy you. To the point that if you let it, you'll wake up one day and your life will be unrecognizable. Sin will use you and abuse you. But Jesus, here's the gospel. You still with me? But Jesus stands ready, willing, and able to free you from your sin. Amen? 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed you from the law of sin and death. Therefore, brothers and sisters, if you know Christ today, repent. <laughs> Let go of your sin. And, and one evidence of repentance is, I think, one evidence is telling Jesus and telling other people who can help you and hold you accountable, right? Bring your sin, and, and by the way, not on Facebook. <laughs> In church, at CG, at Restore, and a variety of other opportunities you have to be enabled by the power of the Spirit and helped by the people of God to win the victory over sin. Jesus died to free you from your sin and to save you from God's wrath. If you give your life to him and repent, now y'all hear me this morning, it might take time, even a long time, for y'all and for me to see clear evidence of victory over certain sins in our lives. I know in my bones I have sins that I'm going to die struggling with. I'm arrogant and I'm prideful. And I'm selfish. And I'm narcissistic. And I need the people of God to help me not be that. And one evidence that I've repented is I'm becoming less arrogant, <laughs> less narcissistic in the power of the Spirit. Y'all feel me this morning? But there are certain things in our lives that might take more time than others before we see victory in those areas. But even if you see a little bitty, teeny-weeny, small piece of victory, brothers and sisters, that is victory. And Jesus promises to take you as you are, but listen to this, not to leave you as you are. The same God who justifies us by faith is the God who sanctifies us by faith. He's the God who not only makes you right with him by faith in Christ, but he's the God who by the power of his spirit intervenes into your life, opens up your heart, gives you resurrection life, and empowers you to live in obedience to the gospel. Grace is, hear this, unconditional but that unconditional grace from God comes with the power to transform all the people of God from one age of glory to the next age of glory. Amen. So don't be coming at me with this legalism stuff. I'm going to say more about this in a moment. This is not legalism. If you think obedience and grace are in com competition with each other, you don't understand the radical transformative nature of grace. But it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to get saved Monday and then freed from your sin on Tuesday. 
The older I get, the more sin the Spirit exposes in my life. The gospel will change you, but it's not like a magic pill that just all of a sudden makes you perfect, right? Sanctification is a process. It's both positional, I'm right with God by faith in Christ positionally, but it's also progressive. You walk, you walk, you walk by the Spirit, right? And if you walk with Jesus until you die, you're going to see evidence of transformation in your life. And one evidence is this. When you sin, you are broken. You don't try to hide it from people anymore. You don't try to hide it from God. Y'all do that? I do that sometimes. I, instead of saying, God, I did this, I try to, like, make it sophisticated. <laughs> Use big theological words that I think he doesn't really know. But you begin to walk in the light. But some of y'all brothers and sisters need to own your stuff. And take personal responsibility for your sin. And, hear this, put in the necessary spiritual work to see victory over sin. You must take up your cross and follow Jesus every day. I can't do that for you. Your pastors can't do that for you, right? You must put on the full armor of God and fight against the devil and his lies with the gospel and with prayer and with the people of God and the word of God. You must draw near to God and resist the devil and his lies so that the devil will flee from you. You must do that. In the power of the Spirit, as God is enabling you to do that. You must do these things corporately, in church with the people of God regularly, in community group with people who can help you do this. And you must do these things by yourself when nobody else is watching. It's our responsibility at the church to help each other do this. But it's not our responsibility to do the work for one another, right? We help carry burdens. We don't carry burdens for, we carry burdens with one another, right? And we do not enable one another to sin. But we use our freedom in Christ to serve one another in love and to empower one another to walk in the Spirit and to by no means fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has and will free you from your sin, but you need to walk with him, right? <laughs> the doctor says you're going to die if you don't take this medicine. Guess what? You don't take the medicine, you're going to die. If Jesus says, I'm your gospel pill, take me every day so that you see transformation, you take it, you'll live. Daily. Now, some of y'all, again, maybe you want to cry legalism. 
There is no competition between grace and obedience in the Christian life. Legalism is this, and hear this carefully, is when you think by your own doing, you must pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps, work hard enough to to turn the, the wrath of God to the love of God on your behalf by what you do to earn that, or otherwise you cannot receive God's love. That's legalism. But gospel living is realizing that God sent his son to absorb your wrath that you and I deserved. And he raised them from the dead so that by faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified by faith and we will escape God's wrath on the last day when Jesus returns from heaven and earth to destroy all of those who rejected him. And that God, by his justifying grace, also transforms the people of God so that we walk in the Spirit. Oh, no, 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 no. It is not true that justification and sanctification are the same thing. They're different. But it is true that the God who justifies, baby, is the God who sanctifies. So I'm going to give you some text. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Y'all work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Y'all, listen, work out your salvation, not for. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why, Paul? Here's why. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here's the reason. Because God is the one who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, all right? Why should you and I seek to obey Jesus? Because God worked in us so that we would obey Jesus. And he enables us by his spirit to obey him, not perfectly, but supernaturally. Read Romans 6. Not now, (laughs) Paul basically says, sin no longer reigns over you. And he says this, don't let it reign over you. Don't let it reign over you, which implies you must do something in the power of the Spirit to kill sin in your life. By which I'm speaking metaphorically to say that you are resisting the works of the flesh and you're choosing the power of the Spirit. Sin is not your Lord, hence the language of reigning, Romans 6, but Jesus is your Lord of your marriage, of your kids, of your singleness, of your desires that are (laughs) God-given, of your money, of how you respond to liars and slanderers and those who want to harm you. He's Lord over that, right? Right? Y'all okay? I'm almost done. Now, we all have stuff. We all have brokenness, don't we? The older I get, the more broken I realize I am. You can only cover that stuff up for so long. Right? And then it starts to come out. 
We all have brokenness and different levels of brokenness. And our brokenness can, can hinder our confidence to have victory in the Christian life. I'll give you one personal example. I have never met my biological father. My mother became pregnant with me when she was 17 years old. So I still struggle with this concept. God is my father. What? He gets my mom pregnant and leaves? So what do I have to do when I see God as father? I've got to use what the Bible says in the power of the spirit and by watching godly fathers be a good father. And I realize non-Christian fathers can be good fathers too. So that the spirit can use the word of God and the people of God to help me become more transformed in my thinking about what it means for God to be my father. And I look at my own relationship with my son and make sure that I am the kind of father that he can say that God, though greater than my daddy, loves me because my daddy loves me. Does that make sense? We all have brokenness. But I want you all to hear this loudly and clearly, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ will never treat you like a one-night stand. He's not going to pick up the phone and call you at 3 a.m. in the morning and ask for some stuff by which he can objectify you. He's not going to use his godness as an advantage to exploit for his own gain, but he will empty himself for you so that he would die for you and for me. That's your Lord. That's your Savior. That's your example. Amen? So, follower of Christ, don't let anyone treat you like a one-night stand. I'm talking to both men and women here. If any man or woman wants you to dishonor God's vision for you, it ain't about love, it's about sex. Don't let anybody treat you the way Jesus would not treat you. And I know sometimes people don't let folk do stuff, folk just do stuff. And here's my word, don't just do stuff to people. Don't exploit people if you are a child of God. Or if you're not a child of God, don't do it either. But you especially shouldn't do it if you are a child of God, right? Don't look for the vulnerabilities in people's lives and try to exploit them for your own advantages and your own gain, sexually, financially, or fill in the blank. Y'all don't hear me this morning, do you? Instead, repent. Don't be like Herod. You think about this. This grown man exploited this little girl. And so did her mama. But rather you repent. Give your lives to Jesus, your desires to Jesus, your sexual appetites to Jesus, and you get help. Don't hold on to your sin, but let it go. You say, Pastor, I'm trying to let it go, but it's hard. 
I'm fighting, but it's hard. Here's, here's my word. My word is, I know it's hard. It's hard for me, but keep fighting. Amen? Keep fighting. Keep putting on the full armor of God and taking up spiritual warfare against the devil and knock him in the teeth with the gospel. And flee from sin when it presents an occasion for you to follow it. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, listen up. You guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. Do not give the devil a foothold in your life. Submit everything in your life under Jesus' authority right now. Don't let your friends or the culture determine the direction of your life, but Jesus Christ and his word. Don't give in to sexual sin. And if you have, repent. Don't walk around packing shame. Let go of that shame and give it to Christ. And then here's what you do. Move on, right? Moving on is going to take some emotional and spiritual time. But if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, right? Now, I struggle with guilt. I still feel guilty for things I did when I was five. For kicking the door in at my uncle's house and then lying about it. He found out that I did it. When I said, when he came home, I didn't do it. I'm eaten up with guilt because I'm aware of my own sin and my own inadequacies, not near enough as I need to be, but I'm aware. Here's the word of the gospel, right? Don't just walk around feeling guilty. That's not the gospel. The gospel is let go of your sin, flee to Christ, hope in Jesus, cling to him, call out to him, call out to the people of God for help. Let go of your shame because Jesus died for it, right? He loves you because he loves sinners. Guilt without repentance will lead you to hell. Did you hear that? Repentance frees you, or it should free you from thinking that you have to do something to alleviate your guilt when in fact Jesus has done something for you. Now here's the deal. Some of y'all don't feel guilty who should. Some of us are too guilt-ridden, right? There are some people who can like steal and, and rob and do all sorts of things, lie and slander, and they never feel guilty. They should feel guilty. But those of us who have been free from sin, we should let that sin and that guilt go. Amen? I'm going to sit down in a moment. So here's a question for us this morning. What's our response to this message? Is your response, well, I'm going to leave Midtown because I don't like the preaching. (laughs) Is your response, I'm going to go to another church that will let me be comfortable with my sin. Or much worse is your response, I'm going to walk away from Jesus and follow my own way. Brothers and sisters, we are chosen by God to walk a narrow and difficult path. 
that we did not earn by anything that we've done. God has done it for us. And he invites us in to freely come to him and bring our burdens and cares to him, Matthew 11, 28 to 29 and 30. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is is light. The response today should be, Jesus, here's my sin. Here's my life. Here's my brokenness. I'm letting you have it. And that should be your response tomorrow. And that should be your response on Tuesday until you die. Now I want to give you some verses to support what I'm saying. And I'm done. Once again, this is not legalism. This is be what you are. You are the people of God. So hear the word of God from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. Hear hear this word. This is the Apostle Paul. This is God's will for you, that you be holy, that you avoid sexual immorality, that each of you learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like unbelievers who do not know God. For God did not call, excuse me, skip the verse, verse 6, and in this matter, no one should take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all of those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to be holy. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his spirit. Is that encouraging? Here's what I'm trying to say. We have victory in Jesus. There are moments in my life that I want to react and respond and to outrage and to bring vindication now. But by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit woos me and compels me. Choose love. Now, love does not compete with justice either, by the way. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to pursue justice, right? Right? I'll say that again. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to pursue justice. Injustice is not loving. But even as we do that, we must always remember what? That God is the one who brings about perfect righteousness. So then I can't go tit for tat. You can't go tit for tat. You can't lie and slander someone just because they lie and slander you, right? Just because somebody lies on you on Facebook doesn't mean you should lie on somebody on Facebook. And quite frankly, some of y'all are destroying your Christian witness by your presence on Facebook. Destroying it. Hear the word of God from Galatians 5. And I'm going to sit down after this, all right? And some of y'all are saying, yeah, and don't stand back up either after this sermon. Galatians 5, 13 to 26. Hear this word from God. For you were called for freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
For the entire law is fulfilled in one word, namely you will love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite one another and devour one another, beware, lest you should be devoured by one another. Now I say walk by the Spirit. Hear this. And you should by no means fulfill the lust of the flesh because the flesh desires contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit desires contrary to the flesh. For these things are opposed to one another so that you would not do these things whenever you want. Brothers and sisters, we can't do whatever we want, right? We can't. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are sexual immorality, impurity, morally reckless living, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, selfish fighting, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, divisions, factions, envies, drunkenness, orgies. Oh my goodness. And all of this stuff in one letter. And things like these, which I said beforehand, and I say again, that those who practice these things as a normal rhythm of their lives will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, and mercy and goodness and faithfulness, and humility and self-control against such things there is no law. But those who belong to Christ, hear that, those who belong to Christ, not Herod, have crucified the flesh with passions and desires. If we have life by the Spirit, let us also conduct our daily lives by the Spirit. Let us not become arrogant, irritating one another, and envying one another. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the Christ, amen? He's not John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. Therefore, let's submit everything in our lives every day under his lordship in the power of the spirit as we stand upon the word of God and rely upon his spirit and the people of God to help us. Amen. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.